Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Enlightened investors, welcome back to the show. What a delight to be with you again today as we take a look at how to use inflation to our advantage. Our guest, Bronson Hill, is an expert in understanding inflation and using it to our advantage. He is the managing member of Bronson Equity and is the general partner in over 2,000 multifamily units worth over $200 million. Bronson is the host of the Mailbox Money Show, and he understands the investor's mindset, having spoken individually with over 1,200 individual investors and having raised over $25 million for real estate deals. And Bronson is the author of How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage. So, Bronson, share with us an experience that helped you to be who you are today. All right. Well, great to be chatting with you again, Alan. I always enjoy talking with you. enjoy our conversations. Appreciate all the value that you're adding to the real estate investing community. So for me, a really formative memory I had was when I was uh, 14 years old, I started doing a paper route. So I was in middle school. My older brother had done a paper route for years. And so I just kind of like, oh, I want to do one too. And I saw how he had, you know, saved money and bought his own car. We didn't come from a wealthy family. So I watched him do that. I was like, I want to do that. So basically just getting out there every day, it was, uh, it was seven days a week. So it was in the mornings on the weekends. So I'd get up at, you know, five or 6 a.m. to do on the weekends. And then it was every afternoon after school. So it really taught me a lot of responsibility just to have something you had to do. It took an hour or hour and a half every day. It was a great, you know, I, I didn't always enjoy it at the time getting up early on a Saturday morning after staying up late, but, you know, it definitely taught me a lot of responsibility. Yeah, what a great way. Newspaper routes have been a, a, a gateway for a lot of entrepreneurs, I believe. Do they have paper routes anymore? I don't, do they, does anybody deliver papers? I, th- I think they do. I mean, I think it depends on the region that you're in. And, and to your point, Warren Buffett, you know, he's 90 years old now. He, was, he did paper routes when he was you know, a kid in D.C. And he was, his dad was a politician. He was out delivering, you know, and he'd do a bunch of before school. So I think there's still papers get delivered in my neighborhood. I think a lot's gone digital, but there are still people that get physical paper delivery. A lot of it's done in the morning, I think now. So it makes it a little more challenging if you're a student or you're a young person that's easier in a car. But then again, you drive a car, you know, the, the cost of gas is, uh, you know, it, it's a lot just to kind of, you know, idle around and go throw papers out your window. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> interesting how things change. Yeah. Well, tell us, Bronson, how can inflation be used to our advantage? Yeah. So a lot of us, you know, we're seeing these days where, you know, gas is costing more, food, everything is costing more. And there's a lot of people that, you know, there's a lot of confusion around inflation where we even have, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, which I believe actually will lead to greater inflation. So sometimes, you know, they'll name something, the name of that's the opposite of what it really is. But the challenge for people that, especially middle and lower class people, you know, the, the people that they're trying to help, it actually can hurt them, right? Because they're getting a handout, but then we're increasing the money supply, which in turn costs uh, it allows things to cost more. So turning to that kind of on its head and getting to the other side of the equation is people that are able to get into assets such as real estate, such as commercial real estate, any sort of uh, thing that could hedge inflation, meaning just, you know, it's a business, it's something you can raise prices as inflation rises. Then you're on the side of the equation where it doesn't hurt you as much as you're able to kind of weather it and keep pace with how that goes. The second kind of big way is using debt or leverage to be able to get assets 
such as real estate. You know, if I, I mean, you and I are real estate guys. So if you were to buy a house, just so let's say, I don't know where this house exists, but let's say it was $100,000 and you put $20,000 down and it went up to 120,000, you haven't had a 20% increase in your equity, you've had a 100% increase in your equity. So just being able to have leverage and be able to see that you're you know, borrowing at rates that are below what re- inflation really is, whether that's five, six, 7%, which you know they say inflation is eight or 9%. I think it's more like 15 to 18% if you count in the actual costs. So if you're borrowing b- below the rate of inflation, you have a fixed long-term debt, you're able to buy an asset that you know will be worth more over time. And multifamily real estate is a way to do that because rents and inflation really go hand in hand. I could show a chart of the last 60 years where they've almost been in lockstep. So that's something that we, we see that will only continue if people can get into assets that pay you to hold them. Oh, uh, yes, to be certain. Working a job in a W-2 job, that just doesn't keep up with inflation. It's just kind of a joke there. But like you say, businesses are hard assets, are ways and means that we can at least stay lockstep with inflation, if not, in some respects, use it to our advantage there. Yeah. Well, how do you actually get into these hard assets if you're working a W-2 job, which many of our viewers and listeners probably are? How do you get started, particularly in a period of inflation and a period of relatively high interest rates? Yeah. So there's really two things people can do to get started. Anybody can do, whether you know you have, you have money to invest or if you don't have money and you want to invest your time. And those are kind of things people do for me. When I started, I didn't really have a lot of time and I didn't really have much money. So I, I basically found a way just to try to work in education and networking. What I mean by that is there's a quote that says, you'll be the same five years from now, except for the books you read and the people that you meet. So what that's saying is, except for education, the books you read and the people that you meet networking, you're going to be the same. So if I can get to local meetups in my area, if I'm blessed to live in you know, LA and you know, there's meetups going on all the time here. If you live in a large metro, you can probably find local meetups. There's also the national conferences. But if you get in a place where you can find other people that are doing things that you're interested in doing, another quote says, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So I could probably look at any listeners, you know, the, the five uh, closest friends or people, your family members, whatever, you could probably say, okay, this is generally probably someone's you know, net worth. This is generally their, their workout habits. This is the, the, the things that they value. This is their spirituality. You can probably find a mix of all those things in the five people we spend the most time with. So the only way to really change that is to get in the room and spend time with people that are at the next level or a couple levels ahead. So education is huge, but I'm going to go back to the idea of you know, if you have money, you can be a passive investor. So if somebody is maybe further along in their career and they've got you know, maybe 500,000 to a million or more, or maybe a few million in the bank or in retirement, they can start using some of that to invest passively in deals. So you can be a passive investor. And so a way to get started there is there's groups like ours, or there's many other syndicators that basically have an investment club and people can join and kind of learn about deals. And my thought is to look at five deals from different operators, choose someone that, you know, you feel makes sense and then invest. And you're going to learn a lot in the process of doing that. And the, the goal really is to try to get comfortable with Hey, this is something new, and is this something I actually could use to help replace cash flow for my job? So that's kind of what you're looking for. The second thing is, if somebody does not have money, you can always use your time. So that's kind of what I did. Is I, I found a way to say, okay, you know, people are looking for these opportunities. Is there a way that I can create opportunities, or maybe I can work with investors, create some education around this, which is what I do now. We have a YouTube channel. We're creating ten videos a month. We're doing podcasts and so much stuff like you're doing. Or educating people and the people are drawn to that. And then I bring them to partners that I've worked with that are doing deals. 
So there's kind of two ways to really get involved. Well, you had mentioned, Bronson, that you got into it by essentially utilizing your time. Can you give us some specifics of how you were using your time and what were you doing to get started? Yeah. So how I got started, so I I was doing single family investing. I had four or five single family houses with a relative in another state. I had a cousin who said, hey, you know, this seems like a lot of work. You know, why don't you just do multifamily? Because my goal had been to get 30 houses. And so I said, well, I'd love to, but I don't have the money. And he said, well, you can raise the money. And he said, read these books, go to this conference, listen to this podcast. So I did everything he said. And a lot of the books started talking about the, the idea of starting a meetup and how that could help you to meet a lot of people, also could position you as a leader. So for you, Alan, by hosting this show, you're a leader in the space of real estate. You're talking about investing and capital. And so people are drawn to you for that reason. So if somebody starts a podcast or a meetup, you're in that place. So an example of this, at my first meetup, we had 60 people at the first meetup. So we did a great job promoting and 60 people showed up. And a guy I'd never met before came up and said, hey, I'd invest in one of your deals. And so I was like, oh, wow, like he'd invest in one of my deals. I was thinking like, I don't have a deal. But I said, okay, let's get some coffee. So I got some coffee with him. I showed him kind of what a, a sample deal would look like. Like, here's what a deal could look like. Would you be interested? And he said, yeah, I'd probably put 100000 into something like that. And so then at that same meeting, that meetup, I met another guy for the first time who was a syndicator who was raising money for a deal. So what I did is I connected these two people together. And now I had some experience. And that's really was the two parts of doing a deal, right? Is one is the money and the other is the deal. So connected those two together. And so here now I'm a general partner in my first deal. And that's the hardest part of this whole business is getting from zero to one, getting your mm-hmm. first deal where you're a general partner, where you're on the management side, you're not just a passive investor, you're not, which is a great experience too, but we are actually on some sort of a management side. So from there, the next six months, did a lot of networking, uh, found somebody in the real estate space that I really admired. They had a huge audience. They were more teaching people how to syndicate, how to do these big deals themselves. And I knew there were a lot of people that were listening that were lawyers or business owners that would never buy an apartment building themselves. And so I basically approached this person and said, hey, what, how would it work if maybe we work together and we created something that could really be a solution for passive investors? And so we created a partnership. And then from then, for the next 18 months, I had one-on-one phone calls or Zoom calls with over, with over 1,000 investors, and we raised $15 million together. So there was kind of two stages there right now. I'm kind of on a third stage where I'm really on my own. But you know, it's just getting started, getting from zero to one, creating value, finding I found a great partnership, learned a lot, you know, added whatever value I could. And then just that's really how people get paid in the investing or any any business really is adding value to others. Interesting. Nice summary there. A lot of detail to go into there. Yeah. (laughs) But a nice trajectory. And I mean, you summed it up in just a few moments here. And I'm sure there was a lot of challenges and setbacks along the way, as there always are when you're starting new endeavors there. So what was the biggest challenge for you as you stepped out into this world of multifamily investing? Yeah, there were a couple. One of the biggest ones, there's something called the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome is something that almost every successful person feels at some point, but it basically is the idea that, you know, who am I to be putting myself out there teaching people or to be an expert on this topic or you start creating stuff and all of a sudden maybe you get a critic or you get somebody saying, well, who's this person thinking that they're, they you know, all this stuff. And so you start to have some self-doubt. So there's some of that that I you know kind of realized like when I was putting myself out there, I was like, wow, like, I don't know, do I really even have something to share that people would really want to hear about? So that was, a, that was a, a, something for me to work through. And then I think another challenge when I had, I was still, you know, my background is medical device sales. And so going back to your question about how do you do this if you have a job, uh, I had a job and I had a good job and I was making good money. 
But, you know, again, on LinkedIn, you start posting things on social media, your work or your boss or something up in my case, started asking questions like, Hey, what's all this stuff? What are you doing here? And, and so that was an issue I had to kind of deal with. And I had to kind of be ready when I really started putting myself out there pretty widely just to say, you know what, uh, I think I have enough passive income or active income now that I, I have enough to cover my living expenses. And if this kind of, you know, blows up my job, I'm okay with it. So obviously starting out, that wasn't really what I was thinking, but there came a point of like, I, I knew at the end of my, I, I started thinking about this and I thought, you know, at the end of my life, I would regret not having tried, you know, and there's a mm -hmm. quote that even says that, you know, then I realized we'll regret more of the things that we didn't do rather than the things that we did. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to try. And if it doesn't work, me quitting my job or, you know, eventually when I was ready to do that, I could always go back and go get another job in medical sales. And it's, you know, it's gone great. I've been, I haven't had no regrets, but, you know, I, I just think, you know, a lot of people are, are stuck with fear just to be stuck to their mm -hmm. job when there are a lot of options out there. Yeah. Well, it's always difficult to get out of our particular comfort zones in all kinds of different ways. Lots of fears come with that. But uh, Bronson, you have spoken to over some 1,200 to 1,300 high net worth investors on an individual basis. First of all, how did you make those contacts? I, you mentioned uh, through your meetup and through your podcast connections, but how specifically did you get in touch with these particular individuals? Yeah. So initially, like I mentioned, I found somebody that had a big network. So I had this person who had 40,000 people on their list. And uh, that was the partnership that I'd made. And so they were teaching people how to syndicate. And so I kind of came along and said, hey, well, what, you don't really have anybody in the seat working with your potential passive investors. What if I was somebody who did this and we kind of had a, a, you know, an onboarding call and talked to people and you know, what their goals are, what they want to do. And so in the process of having those calls, I mean, sometimes, sometimes it would be you know, 10 or 20 calls in a day. Sometimes it would be, you know, on average, it was about 15 calls a week. So some weeks, you know, we'd have a lot of, I'd have a lot of calls. Some weeks I wouldn't have any calls or very few calls, but it was a lot of, you know, the ability just to understand who am I talking to on the phone? What is their experience? Usually it was kind of a range of one or two people. It was either somebody who was brand new, you know, maybe they, they had some financial background, but they just really had never invested in real estate passively. So that was a much more basic conversation about, you know, syndication, how it works, how to passive investments work. And then there was the person who'd invested in, you know, 10 or 20 syndications. And they asked, you know, about cap rate reversions and kind of rent growth assumptions and all these things that are very specific. But I think the, you know, the goal of that was just to try to figure out you know, who I was talking to. But one thing that really amazed me, Alan, about uh, all these folks is that they would take 20, 30 minutes. The average net worth of, of the people were about 2 million. Some of these people were, were much higher net worth than that. But, you know, they were taking 20, 30 minutes to just have a call and hear about what we're doing. And so I think a lot of mm -hmm. people that are, are, are wealthy are willing to get on the phone and learn about you know different people doing different sorts of deals and, and really educating themselves. That was something that I really learned about kind of what, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, what was the, the biggest lesson you've learned in speaking with all of these high net worth individuals? Yeah. So like I mentioned, the education one was a big one that they're willing to learn. I think some of, some of the bigger things that I found is that a lot of people that have enough or have more than enough, really there is important to them is really having control over their time. So again, if somebody is, and this is where it's, it's kind of a reframe for a lot of people. I even get a lot of doctors or people that are business owners that they don't see that, you know, them having a house that they manage or a couple of rental houses or a few houses, that that is actually not a good use of their time, even if they have a property manager, because the property manager is still looking and having daily, weekly conversations, hey, what should we do here? And oh, this issue happened here versus a passive investment. Uh, the whole goal of it is to basically do some diligence on the front end of getting to know the team and the deal, and then to be able to leverage into it. So 
Um, I, you know, just the idea that a lot of these, you know, some of them really got it and some of them were just kind of, just trying to kind of get their head around it, but what is actual passive investing work? And I think there has a, there's a saying that there's really no such thing as passive investing because no one cares about your investments like you do, which I think there's a truth to that. You can't be just fully hands off, but I think there is, there are investments that are more passive, right? So somebody who invests, you know, passively in a syndicated deal, that's a multifamily or a mobile home park or self-storage or, or a similar type of deal. That's a more passive deal. Once you invest, you're pretty hands off. You know, the, the name of my podcast is the Mailbox Money Show, and it's that idea that just basically people get you know checks or direct deposits every month or every quarter, and they're hands off, which is really the goal, right? Warren Buffett says, unless you learn how to make money when you sleep, you'll work until you die. And so mm -hmm. it's really, I think, a lot of people just seeing that: how do I get my money working for me so that I don't have to go work for money? Well, you said that some of these people were veterans in terms of investments. They had done syndications and other types of real estate investments, and others were brand new to this. You had mentioned that those who were experienced and had done the syndications were asking these specific questions about cap rates, about returns, about internal rates of return as opposed to cash flow and waterfalls and so on and so forth, all of those specific things to investments. And yet you were new to this, and I would suspect you were challenged in answering many of those questions. How did you deal with that as a newbie talking to the experienced? Yeah, that's a great question. I have some students we coach now with a group called Kingdom REI, and this comes up a lot where, you know, how do you talk to an investor if you haven't really had that conversation before? And I think the biggest thing that stops us is just not having the conversation. So being willing to have the conversation have a conversation to learn, to ask questions. And, and, you know, it's in the beginning, there's going to be a lot of, you know, that's a great question. Let me get back. Let me find check and get back with you. And that really does two things. One is that takes the road of high integrity where you're basically saying like, Hey, you know, I'm not sure. Let me find out. And then secondly, you're also building a way to follow up with that person. So it gives you an opportunity to have another conversation or at least email a follow-up. And that's, a, that's something that builds trust. So if you say you're going to do something for someone and then you actually do it, that's something that actually is a way to build trust. So in the beginning, yeah, the first, you know, 30 to 40, 50 calls, like, yeah, I was just kind of figuring it out. What, what's the mm -hmm. talk track? There's really no map on how you do this. We're just kind of asking some questions. And then now I've got a pretty succinct talk track of how I, you know, engage and how I get on the phone and the questions I ask, I've got eight or 10 questions. And I feel like it's a good way of really understanding, okay, who is someone? What's their experience? What are their financial goals, their net worth? Are they accredited? You know, just some of these questions that kind of understand, you know, where are they coming from? What do they really want? And really, do they qualify for these type of investments we're looking at? Well, Bronson, I think we've kind of gone into this in terms of inflation and how certain investments can actually be advantageous during an inflationary time. But you do not encourage saving. In fact, you think it is a foolish thing to be doing. Explain that to us. Yeah. So when I was eight years old, my grandmother took me to the local bank in Seattle, Washington and took my hand. We walked into the bank and we opened up a savings account and it was, you know, she's teaching me the principles of saving money and which, which in general is a great thing, right? Trish, if you can't save money, you can't live within a budget, even a lot of Dave Ramsey stuff. Like this is really one-on-one. -on -one. Like if you have credit card debt, you should pay that down, you know, as soon as you can, because then you'll get a 20% plus return because that's typically what interest rate is on credit cards, right? So that's a great thing to do is to get out of debt. But in general, just having money right now, let's say I've got $100,000 and I have it sitting in the bank. If inflation is, in fact, 15 to 18%, which according to shadowstats.com, it says that's actually what inflation really is, 
then that number, that means that over a two-year period, if I just wait, the confused mind will say, oh, I'm just going to wait. Uh, over a two-year period, you will lose about 40% of your purchasing power. So that's a lot of money. So that 100K will only be worth 60K. Now you'll still have 100K, we'll just buy a lot less. So sitting in cash for an extended period of time is not beneficial. I'm not saying just, hey, you got to have money, you know, get in today and go spend it or invest it tomorrow. But it's important to really be thinking about how can I be deploying? How can I be deploying? And so, you know, I think the best type of assets, and I kind of touched on this earlier, the best assets I think are ones that have some sort of inflation hedge built in where again, rents and inflation really go hand in hand. I wish there's a chart that I could share. It's from Mother Jones. If people search it, it's from 1960 to now. It shows almost a hand in hand. It's slightly lagging on the rents versus inflation, but it's just a trend line going up and to the right. But basically they go hand in hand. So if you have an inflation hedged asset that actually pays you to hold it. And so the multifamily does that. There are other types of real estate assets that do that. And then of course, using leverage to be able to do that is even better. So I think, again, if somebody's plan is just, hey, I'm just going to wait and you know whatever, things are going to crash. I really don't think things are necessarily going to crash because of all the new money creation that's happened. There was about 40% new currency that was created over a two-year period. We've never really had a time in recent history where that's happened. So I think that everything is going to cost more. It's going to continue to cost more, and we're going to have extended high inflation, at least for a number of years. Well, Bronson, tell our viewers and listeners how it is that they can take advantage of what you have to offer and how they can and get in touch with you. Yeah, well, I love connecting with investors. Uh, anybody who's interested in, in talking about real estate, we, like I mentioned, we have you know, our deals we do in multifamily. We also have a ATM machine fund where we have investors that work with us on that. But I have this ebook. It's called How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage. 52 color pages. You can download that at my website at bronsonequity.com or you can find me on most social medias. Well, Bronson, you just brought up the aspect of ATM investing. Tell us about that. Yeah. So ATM machine investing, to be honest, when I first heard about it, I was a little skeptical. I just thought, you know, what, why would I invest in ATMs? You know, I'm, I'm not using ATMs. Just a high level, most people that invest in ATMs are not the people that actually use them. There's actually about 5 to 10% of the population that use them all the time. It's typically the unbanked, the underbanked immigrants. There's uh, even now government benefits come on a debit or ATM or debit card. So there's actually more tra cash transactions today than there's ever been. There's more transactions with ATMs. So we partner with the fifth largest operator of ATMs in the country. To me, it's the most predictable cash flow deal that I've seen. A lot of multifamily deals are great. It could take six, 12 months before cash flow starts and it you know, can kind of wane and you know, it changes a little bit versus this one is, is very predictable. So uh, you know, I'm happy to touch base with people on that. We usually open up the fund two or three times a year and it's been an awesome investment. And you also get 100% depreciation with no recapture, which a multifamily typically has a recapture event when you sell this one because it's equipment, there's no recapture event on it. So it's 100% depreciation year one. Wow. Well, Bronson, been wonderful having you with us. Enlightened investors, what a delight to have been with you again today. Bronson, thank you for sharing your experiences and your wisdom with us today. Enlightened investors, I look forward to being with you next time. Thank you, Bronson. Thanks, Alan. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.